Hello and welcome to Profits and Loopholes. Today we're going to be discussing itemized deductions versus standard deduction. And I'm sitting here with Nate. Nate, hello. Good to be here. Hey, this is a, an interesting topic that will probably affect almost anyone listening to this podcast and pretty much every one of our taxpayers has questions about. Mm-hmm. So let's first start with standard deduction. What is it? What does it mean to us? What are some of the changes that we've seen recently over the years with the standard deduction? Yeah, so there's two ways you can file a tax return, right? Is you can either file using a standard deduction, uh, and we'll get later into an itemized deduction. So you choose one of these two paths, and a standard deduction is essentially just a default amount that the IRS lets you reduce your taxable income by. So a deduction will make you pay less tax. Standard deductions are based on our filing statuses. So we have married filing joint, married filing separate, head of household, single, and then we also have some other like qualifying widower sort of statuses that are a little bit more rare. And each of those statuses have a, a standard deduction associated with them. Uh, recently, so in the last several years, we've actually increased those standard deductions quite substantially. So like a married filing joint couple filing for 2021, they're going to have a standard deduction of $25,900. So what that means is they can now earn $25,900 without paying any tax on that money. And then single, and single deductions are about are half of that amount, and then head of household is right in between. And so only when our itemized deductions, and maybe, Paul, you can help us understand those, uh, when those itemized deductions exceed that standard deduction, so we get to shelter more of our income from being taxed, that's when we opt for doing it, filing a Schedule A and itemizing. Yeah, this is, a, this is often a question that taxpayers ask in relation to, well, should I, am I itemizing? Am I, am I taking this statutory minimum standard deduction? And, and you, you mentioned it, it, it is an either or, and generally we want to take the higher of the two. Right. Because uh, that will end up reducing our taxable income lower. Now, there are some other issues with, with not issues, but uh, with the standard deduction, there's some additional increases uh, for particularly if you're blind or an age increase, if you're over the age of 65, you know, that standard deduction will be increased by, I think it's $1,650 right now. Adjusting uh, for inflation. Yep. So one thing to, to, to probably reiterate at this time is that when we're talking about standard deduction and we're talking about itemized deductions and tax law in general, Nate made a good point earlier is that the, the tax law changes quite frequently. So if you're listening to this podcast uh, and it's maybe a year or two after the fact, you may want to just brush up on with your current CPA what is the current tax law because things are changing so regularly. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about itemized deductions because the standard deduction is pretty straightforward. Um, when it gets to itemized deductions, you know, there's been, again, some recent changes with tax law over the last few years. Uh, we used to have this idea of, of a miscellaneous itemized deduction, which is kind of in a prohibitive state where they don't exist. And we'll go into the kind of some basic detail on those. Uh, they're kind of on the sideline until about, I think, 2026. Uh, but our itemized deductions consist of, of a few items. And if you look at Schedule A, this is where you'll see primarily a list of itemized deductions. You have qualified medical and dental expenses that exceed a certain threshold of adjusted gross income. The rate is currently, and, and I think with some recent tax law, it's been uh, made permanent at 7.5%. 
It's kind of gone back and forth over the last few years of 7.5%, then up to 10 and back down to 7.5. So qualified medical and dental uh, expenses, this would include health insurance premiums that are not pre-tax paid through an employer. Um, Pretty difficult also, deduction to get. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I don't see it's it very rare. often. Just because it doesn't ever exceed that 7.5% of income. And it's really, it's only the amount over that that we get Correct. to use. So. I often see it with maybe some of our elder, elderly taxpayers oh, that yes. uh, find themselves on fixed income, but as they age, you know, medical expenses are increasing. And so, you know, sometimes that can be seen. And oftentimes taxpayers also might do some planning to engage in maybe large dental or large medical uh, expenses in one year to kind of get that tax benefit. That. Yeah. Uh, I also see it with, uh, you know, taxpayers that might find themselves in assisted living centers because the, the cost of those is so great and that also it counts as a qualified medical expense. Um, the next line item down uh, revolves around taxes, state taxes, local taxes, both for income. Uh, there's a sales tax. This is a unique scenario where within the tax uh, category, we can take the higher of the sales tax we pay or the state income tax that we pay. Now, from my experience, most taxpayers end up paying a higher state income tax versus sales tax. But there are some big ticket items like uh, when a taxpayer buys a vehicle or an RV that can, can increase that sales tax. So there, there are some rare occasions where sales tax uh, can be an, an advantage. If you're a resident of a state that doesn't have an income tax like Texas, absolutely, the sales tax deduction is also where we use that. Yeah, there are there are some current limitations. This uh, has been a, a point of interest, I think, with state income tax deductions, as our government has made laws that prevent us from deducting our state income tax and, and real estate tax that exceed $10,000. So there's been a cap put on the amount that we can include as an itemized deduction for those taxes. Uh, you know, without getting into the theory of it, it, it seems or appears to kind of limit taxpayers' ability to deduct state taxes in high-tax states like California and New York. Um, if we go on to the next section, we, we have itemized deductions that we're all, most of us are familiar with, mortgage interest. Very common. In that category, we have mortgage interest on our primary residence, and can we include second homes? Yes. Yeah, and it, in fact, an RV, if it's self-contained, can be counted as a second home. Nice. So we've got mortgage interest, we've got mortgage insurance premiums as something that some taxpayers have that can be deducted. Uh, investment interest is a kind of often forgotten line item that's part of that interest category. Investment interest is primarily interest paid on perhaps debt used to acquire a business. Uh, it could be, you know, I, I often see this with like people that borrow money from life insurance contracts that I have to pay the life insurance contract back because they've made investment, they have investment interest that's deductible there. Uh, that one in particular is limited to investment income, so it's kind of got its own, own uniqueness to it. And one other that we've, we've talked about in another podcast is points. When you buy a house, that counts as mortgage interest, right? Great. Yeah, where, where do, Nate, where do taxpayers learn about that? Because points is one of those issues where there's not a quote-unquote tax form that's communicating to the taxpayer 
how much they paid in points. Where would a taxpayer find that information? You gotta be looking at those closing documents. We're looking for loan origination fees or loan discount fees, those are points. And I, I do feel like in recent years that mortgage companies have gotten a little bit better about actually getting those on those 1098 forms. And so taxpayers are aware of it. But yeah, that's one of those deductions that frequently slips through the cracks. And that's one that I screen for when I talk to a client. You know, I, most CPAs are asking it if you've bought a home. Yeah. And so, yeah, we have to look at those closing documents. Yeah, it's always a good idea if you're buying a home that you, when you close and you get that, that closing disclosure or settlement statement from the title company that you forward a copy on to your tax preparer. Yep. The next section is another section that we're, that we're familiar with, and there's been some unique changes uh, recently due to COVID and some of, the, some of the taxpayer relief that has been passed. Uh, and that's regarding charitable contributions. Uh, and, and it kind of has an interplay here, both on the itemized and now the standard deduction side. Yeah, we love to add complexity to the tax code, <laughs> don't we? With regards to the standard, so 2020 was an interesting tax year where we could increase our standard deduction by up to $300 of charitable contributions, even if we didn't if itemize. We didn't itemize. Yeah. Right. So, Which is where you'd normally have to write that off. You have to correct. itemize to be able to use the charitable deduction. Yeah, so we kind of got the IRS or the, our Congress threw a little bone at us. I mean, not a huge tax benefit. Right. I think I calculated out, and for most people, it was like between $60 and $70 of tax benefit mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Uh, my understanding is for 2021, that is still in place, but it's been increased up to $600. I think you're right. Without that in consideration, if, if we are typically itemizing though, you can take uh, charitable, qualified charitable contributions that are paid either by cash or in kind as a deduction on that itemized Schedule A. Now. That isn't just limited to cash or in kind. You know, in this demographic area, we often see uh, contributions to desert industries. Uh, other areas of, of the country might see Goodwill. Salvation or, Army. Yeah, just yep. to name some of the, the larger ones. With all, with all these charitable contributions, Paul, that we're talking about, it's important that we, we know that we need to keep some records associated with all these. You know, frequently when we have cash contributions, the organizations are going to send us letters in January or as we're making the contribution. That's a great way to document a, a charitable contribution that you have. As you take something into, you know, in, an in-kind donation into Salvation Army, they usually offer you a receipt. We want to just document what kinds of things and an estimated value of what those uh, donations are worth. You know, all these charitable contributions, they all have to, in order to be able to count them as tax deductions, they have to be to qualified organizations. And so they have to be approved by the IRS as uh, a, a charitable organization. And the IRS actually maintains a list of all these charitable organizations on their website. And so it, it eliminates the, this confusion of what organizations are eligible for donations that we can write off on your tax return. So it, easy to get on irs.gov and search those. Okay, well, so Paul, we've talked a lot about the things that we can be itemizing and we can, we can deduct. Are there things that you commonly see that we can't write off that taxpayers frequently want to try to write off? Yeah, I think in the easiest sense, right, when we, when we make donations that we think are to qualified charities but are not, uh, I have a lot of taxpayers ask about uh, gifts to individuals. Those, while charitable, are not qualified charitable deductions. And so we can't deduct those one-on-one, -on -one, those personal gifts that we give to our children 
or to our friends or family members. Uh, political contributions, which is, you know, we get a lot of pressure around uh, voting times to make political contributions. Those are not deductible. Dues and fees paid to country clubs, golf country clubs, or fraternal orders are also not tax deductible. And I think probably the last one to mention would be the value of our times and ser or services that we donate. So if we're doing charitable service for our church or a local charity, we cannot take a deduction for the time that we spend doing that. We could take if we had out-of-pocket costs that we don't get reimbursed for. You know, one that we, we recently were able to write off was unreimbursed employee expenses. So as an employee, if I had these expenses associated with my W-2 job, I used to be able to write those things off. We've recently taken that out of the tax code as well. Yep. Under the current circumstances, I mean, if you want to have any benefit, uh, you had probably better go to your employer and request reimbursement yep. of those expenses on their behalf. Well, it's been a great conversation about itemized deductions. I, I feel good about what we've talked about here. If you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We'd be happy to get those answered for you. We'll catch you next time.